Well, praise the Lord. Thank you so much for that. Salvation is more than just getting man out of earth and into heaven. Salvation is about getting God out of heaven and into man. Amen? That's what, amen? amen. That's what's happened because of salvation. Now, if we've trusted in Jesus, the Bible says we've become the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit of God, that He lives in us. And because God is now out of heaven and into man, we can experience a little heaven here on earth. And that's what we've experienced here this morning in the presence of God. What a blessing that truly is. I always pray for the manifest presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, some would say, well, Brother Ezra, I thought that the Holy Spirit was everywhere, that God is everywhere throughout the whole universe. You know what? You'd be right. That's called the omnipresence of God. Omni meaning all, and of course presence uh, means where God is. It means that God is everywhere. He's at all places, at all times, all throughout the universe. In Psalms 139 and verse number 8, the, the psalmist wrote about this, said, If I ascend up into the heavens, thou art there. Or if I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. According to the writings right here in Psalms 139, wherever in the universe you want to talk about, God is there. He makes the case that God is even in hell. He's everywhere. But let me say this. God is at some places more powerfully than others. You know, when I go to the ball game, God's at the ball game. When I go to work, God's at work. Hey, when I'm riding down the road, God is there. When I'm at the grocery store, God is there. But I want to tell you something. God is not usually at the grocery store like he's been here this morning. See, he's been here this morning in his manifest presence. We've experienced some of the glory of God because he's blessed us with his presence. And that is such an amazing thing. Let me tell you something, child of God. Let me encourage you, church. Never let that become commonplace. Hunger for that. Get addicted to that. Hey, want more of that. Don't you want more of that? I'm all about coming to church and having church, amen? I'm not about coming and praying dead prayers and singing dead songs and preaching dead sermons. I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit coming to worship a God who is real and relevant. That's what we need. That's what I pray for and I hope that's what you pray for as well. Take your Bibles now, turn them to John 18. That's not my message, I just had to say that. John chapter 18, I want to share with you 10 verses this morning. We're really primarily going to be looking at one of those verses, but I want to read this whole conversation that takes place between Pontius Pilate, the governor of, uh, of the um, territory, the Roman territory that was around Jerusalem at that time, um, and, and Jesus himself. In John chapter 18, verse 28, the Bible starts off by saying this, Then led they Jesus from Caiaphas under the hall of judgment, and it was early. And they themselves went not into the judgment hall, lest they should be defiled, watch this now, but that they might eat the Passover. Now in that one verse, shares with us the problem of religion. These were very religious men. They were Pharisees. They were the most strict religious sect that the Jewish people had to offer. Now let me tell you what's going on. They're taking Jesus, who is God incarnate, the Son of God and God the Son. Can you say amen? How many believe Jesus is the Son of God, but He's also God the Son? Yes, absolutely. These religious men, very pious, they are taking Jesus to be crucified. They're taking Him to be killed. 
But they won't enter into the judgment hall of a Gentile because they fear if they do, they'll be made ceremonially unclean and won't be able to eat the Passover. Do you see how hypocritical that is? They're willing to crucify the Son of God, God Himself. They want Him killed. They really want nothing to do with God. What they want is their religion. They want their tradition. They want their own self-righteous acts that they believe make them right with God, but leave them with no peace. Wow, how sad it is. Verse 29, Pilate then went out unto them and said, What accusation bring you against this man? They answered and said unto him, If he went were not a malefactor or a criminal, we would not have delivered him unto thee. Then said Pilate unto them, Take ye him and judge him according to your law. The Jews therefore said unto Pilate, It is not lawful for us to put any man to death, that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spake, signifying what death he should die. Uh, we know according to verse 32, everything that's taken place in John chapter 18 and all throughout the ministry of Jesus, it took place according to the plan and purpose of God. Can you say amen? You go back and study this, you go back and read it, you're going to find out throughout the whole trial, Jesus is in complete control of the whole situation. Everything that happens. He says in the 33rd verse, Then Pilate entered in the judgment hall again and called Jesus and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? Now look what Jesus said. Jesus answered him, Sayest thou this being of thyself? Or did others tell thee of me? Now, I love how Jesus posed the question. He said, are you saying I'm a king because you believe I'm a king? Or are you saying I'm a king because somebody else told you I claim to be king? And see, now listen to me. The way Pilate answers is really going to determine the rest of this conversation. Jesus is wanting to know where Pilate stands. What do you believe? Let me say this this morning. We need to figure out where we stand today. What do you believe concerning Jesus? What do you believe concerning God's word, God's truth? What do you believe concerning God's plan? What do you believe? It's not about what someone else has told you. It's not about what someone else believes. It's not about what someone else has done or not done. What do you believe? Personally, what do you believe concerning Jesus? He goes on and says, I love this. Um, Pilate answered, verse 35, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation and the chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then will my servants fight. How many of you are thankful this morning that the, the kingdom of the Lord Jesus is not of this world? I don't know about you. I am thankful that I have much more to look forward to than what I see in this world than what I have to go through in this world. I'm thankful that one day I'm going to see the one who died for me. Can you say amen? I'm thankful that one day I'm leaving this world behind and I'm going to be with him. What a blessing it is that his kingdom is not of this world. It's truly a blessing if you're a part of his kingdom. If not, then today's the day. It's time to get right. It's time to make your decision to follow Jesus. He goes on and says, Then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews, but now is my kingdom not from hence. Pilate therefore said to him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king, and to this end was I born. I love what Dr. Charles Spurgeon says concerning the kingship of Jesus. He said there have been a lot of babies who became kings, but there is only one king who became a baby. <laughs> 
How many of you understand Jesus was king when he was born in Bethlehem? He was always king the 33 and a half years he lived upon this earth. He was king of kings and lord of lords when he went to the cross. He left his throne to take up a cross. He put down his crown to pick up a crown of thorns. And he did it for you and he did it for me. He's born a king. He's always been a king. And for this cause I came into the world that I watch what he says, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everybody say the truth. Look what else he says. Everyone that is of the truth hears my voice. Do you hear the voice of Jesus? Do you understand when Jesus is speaking to you? That's an important question. Jesus said, whoever hears my voice, they're the ones that are of the truth. Verse 38, Pilate said unto him, what is truth? And that's where I wanted to get to this morning. The title of my message today is The Truth About the Truth. Let's pray. Lord, we need to hear from you. Without you, nothing is possible. Lives can't be changed. Addictions can't be broken. Families can't be healed. Lord, without you doing a work in our lives, We'll leave here the same way we came in. But Lord, if you choose to, I pray this morning, you do a work such in the lives of these people, starting with me, that I'm different when I leave than when I came in. I'm praying today you speak your truth unto our hearts. Use me as your vessel, as your mouthpiece, to do your work and your will by your power. In Jesus' mighty name we do pray. Amen. What is truth? Pilate asked the question, and I believe, in my estimation, there's no more important question in all the Word of God. And that's a, really saying a mouthful. When you think about who asked it, here you have a Roman governor, a pagan man, who worships false gods. He asked the question that we all need to answer for ourselves. What is truth? What do you believe truth to be? It needs to be asked, and it needs to be answered right here this morning. I believe that uh, when you, what, what you decide or what you believe to be the truth, listen, it impacts everything else you do. It dictates everything in this life and everything throughout eternity, what you believe to be true. It has eternal implications. If you believe that, say amen. Let me tell you why I say that. What I believe to be the truth determines the decision I make concerning Jesus. And whether I choose to accept Christ or reject Christ determines my eternal destiny. My Bible says that if I place my trust in what Jesus has done for me, that I can have eternal life. But it also says if I choose to reject who Jesus is, I reject Him to be the truth. Uh, folks, that I'm going to spend an eternity in hell. It has eternal implications, but I want you to know something else. It has worldly implications. Where we live right now. I want you to understand and know, we never need, as the children of God, we don't need to get so heavenly minded, we're no earthly good. We need to start putting into practice the truth of what God's word says. It has worldly implications, what I believe to be the truth. What I believe to be true determines the decisions and choices I make day by day. Would you agree with that? 
I determine what I do and what I don't do by my standard, what I believe to be the standard. Are you getting me? Now then, my decisions and choices that I make daily determine my direction, ultimately where I end up in this life. What, what, my, what, ultimately what man I become. What father I become. What husband I become. What employee I become. What church member I become. Mama's what mama you become is dependent mainly upon what you believe to be the truth. And you can use that in every area of your life, whatever it might be. It determines our direction in this life. It has eternal implication and it has worldly implication. Now let me just go ahead and say this morning before we go any further, I'm going to come clean with you. I hope you already know this, but I'm going to tell you again in case you don't know. I believe the blessed Bible to be the absolute truth to God to this world. I believe God's word is his truth to every man, woman, boy, and girl upon the face of this planet. I don't care who you are. You say, brothers, what about those who don't believe it? Listen, whether you choose to believe it or not does not change one bit whether it's truth. I don't believe God's word. Listen to me now. I want you to get this. I believe God's word because it's true. It's not true simply because I believe it. Whether I believe it or not has no bearing on whether it's truth. Can you say amen to that? I've told you this before. Let me tell you again. Two plus two is what? I don't care how you count it. You can add it on your fingers. You can add it on a calculator. Whatever you do, you're always going to come up. If you're, uh, if you're uh, looking at the truth, you're going to find that two plus two equals four. You say, brother, I don't believe that. I believe two plus two equals five. Whether you choose to believe it or not, it still comes out four. There's a standard. There are absolutes. That's what I'm trying to get to you this morning. That's what I want you to see this morning. Why? Because Satan is attacking the truth of God's word like never before. There is an all-out attack on the truth of what God says in the blessed Bible. Why? Two reasons. Number one, Satan knows that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of the Lord. Do you know that? The Bible says it plainly. Romans chapter number, uh, uh, let's go over there and read it. I don't, I don't want to misquote it to you. Go to Romans chapter 10 and let's look at this together. Romans 10. Let's look down. Verse number 17. The Bible says plainly, so then faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of the Lord. How are we saved? By grace, through faith. How does that take place? We hear what God's word says. It produces faith in the hearer and we come to know Jesus. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of the Lord. See folks, Satan knows that. That's why he does everything he possibly can to keep people from hearing the truth. Why do you think, listen to me now, why do you think it's always hardest to get up and get going on Sunday morning? If there's ever going to be a time something's going to happen, it usually happens on Sunday morning. I'm talking about if you're going to have a fight with your wife, it's going to happen on Sunday morning. If the kids are going to act stupid, it's going to happen on Sunday morning. You know, if you're going to get them ready and have them ready for church, then all of a sudden, this has happened to me, is what I'm telling you. You get them ready, they're ready to go, and, and then five minutes before you leave, you look around and one of them's been outside playing in a mud hole somewhere wrestling with a dog. It seems like there's always something hindering you 
from getting to church. Now, some of us, let me tell you what happens. Sometimes we find our ox in the ditch. And, let me, and it's also, sometimes what we do, we get in the flesh and we take our ox and we pull it in the ditch so we'll have an excuse. Are you getting me? But there's always hindrance to those who are going to hear the truth. Let me tell you why. Satan don't want you hearing it. He doesn't. He knows how powerful the truth is. Jesus said it like this when he was praying for the church and praying for his disciples in John chapter 17, verse number 17. He says, Father, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Satan knows if people hear the truth that the truth changes people. He don't want you hearing the truth. He's going to battle against the truth every way he can. Number two, why does Satan come against the truth? He knows his time draweth nigh. You say, brother, what do you mean by that? Well, I believe with all my heart we are on the threshold of the coming of Jesus. I believe the signs are fulfilling. If you don't believe me, come and, and get with us on Wednesday night and study the book of Revelation. You can almost take the word of God in one hand and a newspaper in the other and see how it's fulfilling. The time draweth nigh for Jesus to come back and rapture his church which ushers in the great tribulation and Satan knows that don't end well for him. You know, I've read the back of the book and praise God, children of God, we win. Satan knows that as well. He knows his time draweth nigh and he does everything he can in these last days to hinder God's absolute truth coming to people. For again, truth changes people. Satan, our enemy, and prideful human beings are using all kinds of isms to come against God and come against His truth. I'm going to give you two of them this morning. First of all, he uses what's called relativism. How many of you have ever heard of relativism? If you have, say amen. Let me give you the definition. The doctrine that all knowledge, truth, and morals exist in relationship to culture, society, or historical context, and they're not absolute. That's pretty good. Let me put it to you um, just in common everyday English. It's the idea that I have my truth and you have your truth. Listen, my truth and my morality are what I believe to be right and wrong and your truth and your morality is based upon the culture I grew up in, the society I live in, or what's happened in my past. That's relativism. There is no standard. I believe what I want to believe and that's my truth. You believe what you want to believe and that's your truth. Now just for a moment, let's stop and think how dangerous that is. Let's stop and think how confusing that is. And we all know who the author of confusion is. Think about it. With that line of thinking, it impacts every aspect of our society. I mean, everything you can possibly talk, talk about. Um, listen what Dr. Ravi Zacharias said concerning relativism. Hey, I love how he puts this. With no fact as a referent or no absolute truth or standard to refer to, what is normal is purely a matter of preference. He's saying that if you don't have a standard to look back at, then everything you do is just what you prefer to do at that point in time. You become the God of your domain. Can you say amen? 
You become God. And folks, listen to me. The, the book of Ecclesiastes says there's nothing new under the sun, and that's the truth. All of this really goes all the way back to the garden. It's the same lie that the serpent told Eve. If you're taking this fruit, you'll be God's, and you can govern yourselves. You can do what you want to do. That's where this comes from. Are you seeing how all that works? But I want you to see how dangerous it is. Let's just talk about how dangerous it is socially. Do you know if you believe in relative truth, there is absolutely no way you can govern a society, a country, a nation. There's no way you can govern it rightly. Because laws which keep order, which make you have a country or a nation has to be based upon a standard. If a law is relative, if you can just break it whenever you want and determine by however you feel, then it ceases to be a law. Are you getting me? Let's just say that the law says that it's 55 mile an hour um, speed limit out on the highway. That's what the law says, is it not? Now, if that law is relative and anybody can interpret that however they want, determined upon uh, the culture they grew up in, what happened to them in their past, or the society they live in, then they can break it any time they choose to. Let's just say somebody grew up over in Germany, and over in Germany they've got what's called the Autobahn, where there is no speed limit. And just because they grew up like that, and that's what they believe truth to be, no matter what the sign may say on the say or the, on the side of the road, or the laws say in the books, they just go and break it whenever they choose to. And now, is that right, or is is that wrong? Well, if we believe in relativism, there's nothing that says either otherwise. That's why there has to be a standard to rightly govern. We're seeing that right now with the transgender movement. Let me tell you what I believe with all my heart. The transgender movement that we're seeing in this nation right now is an, it's an attack on absolute truth. It truly is. It's an attack on what we know to be a standard. How many of you know there's a very simple test that we can all take to determine whether we're male or female? And I won't go any further with that. But I think you get where I'm coming from. We can even go a step further. We can use biology. We can look at a person's DNA and prove whether or not they're male or female. What I'm saying is there is a standard biologically speaking. Now, if all truth is relative or it's determined by how I grew up, what's in my past, the culture I live in, the society I live in, if that's what determines it, then I can prefer what I want to be on a day-by-day -day basis. I mean, I can be a woman one day, I can be a man the, other, the next day. The next day, if I want to be a tiger, I'll just be a tiger. I mean, where does it stop? Folks, I can tell you I'm a typewriter all day long. But the proof is in the pudding. Are you getting me? So there has to be standards. There has to be absolutes. But let me tell you what blows my mind. We adhere to moral standards, or excuse me, to standards in every other area, every area except morality. Do you know that? Let's take units of measurement. 
Do you know that there is a standard for measurement in this country, whether it be inch or inches or feet, yards or miles? Now, some may say, well, I don't believe 12 feet or excuse me, 12 inches is in a foot. Well, you can believe that all day long, but when you go to buy your lumber at the hardware store, you're going to find different. Now, if you don't buy your lumber according to the standard, when you get home to build your house, you're going to, be, you're going to, be, you're going to have a big problem. Either you're not going to have enough or you're going to have too much. Can you say amen? See, we'll, we'll, we'll say, okay, that, there's a standard in measurement. There's a standard in everything else. There's a standard in mathematics. We've already talked about that. But when it comes to morality, we say, no, there is no standard. We'll just do what we want to do. Why? Because listen to me, folks. People don't want truth. What they really want is happiness. They want to please the flesh. They want to make themselves happy by any means necessary. So I'm going to do what I want, when I want, how I want, with whom I want. It's all about me and we leave God completely out of the equation. Why? It pleases the flesh. That's a different message for a different day. But socially speaking, it's very dangerous, relativism. Also, spiritually speaking, it's extremely dangerous. Let me explain to you what I mean. If there is no standard, there is no right and there is no wrong. If there is no right and no wrong, there is no sin. If there is no sin, then there is no need for a Savior. If we don't need a Savior, then why trust in Jesus? If we don't trust in Jesus, we're going to live a life of pain and heartache upon this earth. Then we're going to die and go to a devil's hell. Are you seeing how this works? Are you seeing the attack of the enemy? Are you seeing how dangerous it truly is? So there has to be a standard. An absolute truth. Around here we believe the standard to be God's word. Above everything else. That's relativism. Let me give you one more before we close. Universalism. What is universalism? It's the idea that we are all God's children. You ever hear it? Sounds good. Gives people the warm and fuzzies. Dionne Warwick sang about it years ago. We are the children. Everybody's gathered around singing, happy. Feels good to the flesh. But let me say something to you folks. It's just not true. You say, oh, wait a minute, Brother Israel. We were all created by God, and I would agree with you. Mankind has ultimately been created by God. Do we still believe that? Say amen if you believe that. Amen. God created mankind. His most prized creation. The creation he loved above everything else. It was into mankind that he took a part of himself and placed it within us. He breathed into our nostrils the breath of life and the Bible says man became a living soul. We are created in the triune nature of God, body, soul, and spirit just like he is. Heavenly Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God loves human beings. He loves mankind. But let me say something to you. Even though, even though, we are God's creation. There's a difference in being God's creation and God's children. Very big difference. 
Mankind is ultimately created by God, but not all of mankind are God's children. You say, brother, where do you get it? Well, I'm glad you asked. Go to John chapter 8. It even goes deeper than that. Let, let me park here for just a second. Let me move on. I had a man tell me one time, we, we went on a mission trip to Mobile Bay in Mobile, Alabama. And um, we were actually preaching to all the sailors that were coming to the, through, through the port there. And I had the opportunity of preaching to some, guys, to some Hindu guys, some guys from India. And when, when they got off the ship and came over to the ministry center there that was set up by the Alabama Baptist where we were staying, as they were coming through, we'd just share the gospel with them. So I, I, I was sat down with a group of these guys. That's probably five or six of them. And uh, their captain, or I don't know, he was in some kind of leadership position. He was sitting there with them. And I began sharing my faith with them, sharing the gospel. And he said this to me. He said, well, I believe that no matter what religion you are a part of, we're all serving the same God. We just call him by different names. No, that's not true. I had to, I had to disagree with that man. And I disagree with anybody who says that. Let me tell you why. The God of the Bible is much different than the Hindu God. Gods, there's thousands of them. The God of the Bible, how many of you know, is much different than the God of Islam. Yes. Much different. The God of the Bible is not the God of the Quran. And while we're here, let me just say this. We just saw another terrorist attack in London, England last night where a man stopped on a bridge, stopped traffic, got out with a knife, and killed seven people. Three of them. Are you kidding me? And we're hearing all this stuff about this being the, the religion of peace. But on what they consider to be their most holy month, the month they call Ramadan, in that month, they do everything they can to kill as many people who don't believe like they do as they can possibly do. You tell me how that's peace. That's not the God of the Bible. That's evil. I'm sick of political correctness. I'm sick of us being afraid to say what we mean and do what needs to be done. It's evil. That God is not my God. I hear people talking about, well, uh, 93% or 95% of all Muslims are peaceful people. It's the others that are extremists. Let me say something to you. A good Muslim is the Muslim that follows after the teaching of Muhammad. The teaching of Muhammad is this. It's okay to rape little girls. The teaching of Muhammad is this. It's okay to kill the infidel. Matter of fact, you should be doing. The teaching of Muhammad is this. It's okay to lie still and do whatever you got to do to get what you need. That's the teaching that comes straight from the Quran. To be a good Muslim, you've got to do those things. Just like to be a good Christian, I've got to follow after the teachings of Christ. Are you getting me? There's a different standard of truth there. Are you getting what I'm saying? So not all gods are the same. There's only one true God. It's the God of the Bible. It's the great I am. Jesus is his son. The Holy Spirit lives in his believers. And we're going to prove that more tonight when you come back. I'll prove why I say that. I'll give you some evidence of why that's true. But let's look right here.
We're not all the children of God. Verse 31, Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth. Watch this, and the truth shall make you three. How many? Well, according to that, truth's pretty important. Verse 33, They answered him, We be Abraham's seed and never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, you shall be made free? The problem that the Jewish people had is they all wanted to go back to, I'm Abraham's seed. I came from the seed of Abraham, the father of the faith. And therefore they believed they were children of God. Jesus said, Not so. Watch this. Look down at verse 38. I speak that which I have seen with my father, and you do that which you have seen with your father. So evidently, according to John 8, 38, there's two fathers. Two fathers that have two families. Watch what else he says. We can determine which family you're a part of by how Jesus explains it right here. Look at verse 39. They answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said unto them, If you were Abraham's children, if you were truly Abraham's children, ye would do the works of Abraham. Watch the works of Abraham. Well, Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. He was a man of faith. He believed and looked forward to the coming Christ. And so what Jesus is saying is, if you were truly God's children, you would do like Abraham did, and Abraham believed on me. Amen. So what does it mean to truly be a child of God? You just believe on Jesus. Go on, read with me. But now you seek to kill me, a man that hath told you the truth which I have heard of God. This did not Abraham. You do the deeds of your father. Then said they unto him, We be not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. Jesus said unto them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Even because you cannot hear my word. Verse 44. Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father, the lust of your father, the lust of your father, the lust of your father you'll do. The desires of your father is what you're going to do. How do we know which family we're in? What desires do you have? I mean, truly, what desires do you have that actually cause you to have a pattern of service? See, if I desire the things of God, there will be a pattern of me loving God, serving God in my life. How's that going to look, Brother Johnny? How's it going to look, Brother? You read it this morning. What does it look like for me to love God and serve God? Well, I love people and I serve people. Amen? I visit those in prison. I feed those that are hungry. I clothe those that are naked. I go out of my way to help others. Because the Bible says, what you've done to the least of these, you've done it unto me. There ought to be a pattern of that in your life if you're truly a child of God. Now then, if you can look at your life and all that you see are sinful things, there's a pattern of you living in sin and wallowing in sin and staying in sin with no change, you're probably not God's child, you're Satan's child. You say, oh, Brother Israel, I've been baptized. Listen, the proof is still in the pudding. Jesus said it like this. If you love me, keep my commandments. We show our love for God not by what we say, but by what we do. I'm not saying you're going to be perfect. We all need God's grace. But I am saying this. As a pattern of your life, there's going to be a difference. There's two families with two fathers. Two different desires. We are not all the children of God. Let me tell you the sad thing. Here you have Pilate asking what is truth 
with truth standing in front of him. Jesus is truth incarnate. He's the fulfillment of God's truth standing in the flesh. And Pilate didn't even realize it. Let me tell you what I'm afraid of. There are people that sit in a church Sunday in and Sunday out, time after time after time after time, week by week, by year by year, by decade by decade, and they hear the truth over and over and over again. It's right in front of them and they miss it. That's dangerous. Let me ask you this. What is truth for you? Have you found Jesus to be all you need? If not, you need to. He changes everything. C.S. Lewis said Christianity for him was just like the sun. He said he believed that Christianity was real. Not just like, not just because he can see it like the sun, but because by the sun he can see everything else. When you get a hold of Jesus and Jesus gets a hold of you, it's by him you start seeing everything else. The world really starts to make sense. You get a hold of truth, brothers and sisters. If you need him today, why not today? Accept him. Trust him. Let him save you. Everybody stand together. Holy Spirit does an amazing work. He draws the hearts of men to God. And let me tell you how He does that. He begins revealing to you your need for a Savior. That's the drawing of the Holy Spirit. I've heard pastors of long ago, they used to say it like this, it's like a tugging at your heart. And that's exactly what it's like. The Holy Spirit of God begins showing you you're lost and undone. You need Jesus. And then it's up to you whether to accept the truth or not. You can either choose to believe it or reject it. I can't make that decision for you. We all must make that decision ourselves. And so today your invitation is this. If you're here and the Holy Spirit of God you know is convicting your heart, then what you must do is trust in Jesus. Don't reject him. You reject him who is the truth. Like I said, it has worldly implications, but it certainly has eternal implications. Today, make the decision to follow Christ. It changes everything. You may be here and you say, brothers, I've already been saved, but I'm dealing with some things in my life, some addictions, some strongholds, some stuff I just can't get past. Let me tell you this. God is able. His power can and will deliver you. If you need help, ask Him for help. Ask Him. 
If your, if your load is heavy, Jesus said, come to me and I'll give you rest. We're to take his yoke upon us and learn of him. Folks, don't miss your opportunity to do business with God today, whatever you need. Brother, sing for us.